A reading from Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not eat, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Gospel writer Luke puts two things side by side and invites us to consider the contrast. He says this, Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God. 
walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. They were righteous before God, like Noah in the days of the flood, walking blamelessly. It's not that they were perfect, but they were faithful, and their lives reflected their faithfulness. They trusted God, and so they kept his commandments and statutes. Anybody looking at them would be able to say, those are the faithful of Israel, just as anyone looking at Noah would have known that he was a friend of God. Job was another blameless man of old. He feared God and turned away from evil, rising early to offer sacrifices and praying for his children. But what was the reward that Job received for his righteousness, for his faithfulness? What did he receive in exchange for his obedience? He was put to the test. He lost everything he had, property, possessions, and children. He lost his health, his comfort, so that all he had left was a handful of miserable friends and his despairing wife. Some reward that was. Elizabeth and Zechariah may have felt the same way. What was the reward for their blamelessness? They had no child. She was barren, and now they were both old. There's a misconception in the church that when bad things happen, God must not be involved. That it somehow violates his goodness for him to send tribulation on his people that he doesn't punish or discipline us in our bodies. But there was no such misconception among the people of Israel. And when Zechariah and Elizabeth perceived that her womb was closed, they would have known that it was God who closed it. It wasn't some accident of nature. It was, in fact, divine providence. That's how it was for the matriarch Hannah many, many years earlier. Hannah lived at the end of the time of the judges, when the people of Israel were in the promised land, but they had once again run amok, every man doing what was right in his own eyes. Hannah appears at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, and her name means favored one. But her life contradicted her name, because she had no child. She was barren. And the Bible tells us that God himself was the one who had closed her womb. To have a closed womb meant not just the disappointment of having no children, but much more than it does now, it meant shame and reproach from her family and friends. It was a troubling thing for her. But there was a bigger story going on with Hannah. Her own barrenness was a picture of the barrenness of Israel. For the people had become unfruitful. God's word had gone silent among them, and their devotion to his promises had been supplanted by their devotion to their own bellies. Even the priests, the stewards of God's mysteries, were intent on satisfying themselves instead of serving and loving God's people. And so, God closed, and so Hannah's closed womb, her womb that was closed by God, was a picture was a picture of the desperate state of God's people. 
The picture would have been vivid for her because her closed womb would have brought to mind her ancestors, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, who was barren, and Sarah, Abraham's wife, who also had no child. And even more pointedly, all the way back to Eve, of whom God had said her offspring, her seed, the fruit of her womb, that would be the one to crush the serpent's head. But if Hannah's womb was closed, then all of that, God's promise, his gracious provision, his devotion to his people, all of that was called into question. And so Hannah prayed. And God heard her prayer and opened her womb, and she bore a son, and she named him Samuel, which means God hears. And she sang a song, Hannah's song, in which she gives glory to God and acknowledges that he is the one who both kills and makes alive, the one who closes and opens, the one who rewards the just and punishes the wicked, the one who does it in his time and for his purposes. And Hannah sang about a coming king, a king who would be the Lord's anointed and who would judge the world with the strength of God. Hannah understood that her barrenness and the barrenness of any woman in this world is not just some accident of nature, but it is God's own divine providence. And she understood that whether he opens the womb or leaves it closed, he will show favor to his people. And he will make them fruitful. So it was also for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Her womb was closed and it was the Lord's doing. But he is faithful and just. And though he had left them unfruitful for a time, they knew that one day he would remove their reproach, just as he would take away the reproach of his people, who had become a byword among the nations, a laughingstock. For they were a people who were waiting, just waiting for their God to act. The people of Israel were waiting, age after age, for a Messiah, waiting endlessly for redemption. Elizabeth and Zechariah would have been happy with any child, but God had more in store for them. The angel appeared to Zechariah while he ministered in the temple, and he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. I don't think that quite captures it. I'm sure you know what it's like to be going about some task, minding your own business, absorbed in your own thoughts, where you'd never expect another person to be, like driving in your car down the highway. How would you react if you looked up in the mirror and all of a sudden you saw somebody sitting in the back seat? You'd jump and your heart would be racing. And goodness knows the words that would come out of your mouth. And that's if it's just a normal person. Imagine it's an angel. Gabriel, no less. So yes, fear fell upon Zechariah. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Those are life-changing words when they come from the one whom you fear. Zechariah didn't know whether the angel was there as a friend or a foe, whether he was there for him or against him, until he said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah had prayed for a child, but he could never have expected this answer. For the closing and opening of Elizabeth's womb was to be a picture of God's redemptive work among his people. And the fruit of her womb was more than just a son, more than a man to carry on the family name. He would be set apart for holy service, not just service in the temple at the altar of incense, but service in the courts of the Most High God, servant to God's chosen people in the spirit and power of Elijah. His birth would mean that God was beginning to take away the reproach not only of his parents, but that he would be the herald announcing that God was about to act and take away the reproach of his people, about to make them fruitful again. God was about to keep his promises. It's no wonder that Zechariah marveled. He never expected this, and it's a shame that he doubted it. After all, his objection was so petty. I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Since when? has age been an obstacle for God? Hadn't Zechariah spent his entire life hearing the story of the angels visiting Abraham and Sarah? Hadn't he learned that when God announces that you'll have a baby in your old age, you shouldn't laugh? You should believe him. This, of course, is familiar territory for us. For since the beginning of the world and in the salvation that God has continually worked for his people, he has shown the strength of his arm his power and might to do just what he says. And he has shown his will to love and bless his people, to protect them, to deliver them from all evil, and to secure for them a future and an inheritance. He has shown that all for you. He has shown that he can feed and shepherd an entire nation as easily as you can raise your little finger. He has shown that nothing is impossible for him and that you, his beloved, have nothing to fear. And yet, like Zechariah, while you and I should indeed marvel at what God promises to do for us, we often fall into doubt. And we make these petty objections like Zechariah, wondering whether God can or will keep his promises to us, simply because we cannot imagine how it could be possible. The angel answered with the authority of God, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. If you won't believe such a messenger, then who would you believe? But, Zechariah, you'd like a sign. And so here it is. You won't be able to speak until all of this takes place. That is a good sign for Zechariah, because when we are forced not to speak, all that's left is to listen and to watch for your ears to hear and your eyes to see the salvation of God. It's like what Moses said to the people of Israel when they were at the edge of the Red Sea. They were in distress, although everything had gone just as God said it would. Ten great plagues to show his power and to spare his people by the blood of a lamb, the blood painted on the doorposts. But now they stood on the banks of the Red Sea, and they saw Pharaoh and all his army marching after them, and they were afraid. And they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have brought us out into the wilderness to die? What, you have done, what have you done by bringing us out here? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They thought that God's arm had been shortened. They were deluded, 
thinking that the God who had turned the Nile into blood and sent darkness over the land and put to death all the firstborn of Egypt, that somehow he would be unable to rescue them from the hand of Pharaoh. They doubted. And so Moses said this to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Your job is to be quiet, Moses says, for the Lord has spoken, and he will do it. Your job is to listen and watch as he works salvation for you. That's our job, too. And that's a pretty low bar for success. I think we can do it. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. For the Lord, who closes and opens wounds, who kills and makes alive, who rewards the just and punishes the wicked, the Lord God Almighty, who sits on the throne of the heavens, who set the sun and the moon and the stars in their place, he is your Lord and your Savior. And he has promised redemption to you. And you have seen and beheld his glory, the glory as the only Son of the Father, for whom we wait with eager anticipation, listening and watching to hear and see the salvation of our God. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that we should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.